you turn with me to the scripture reading today, it comes from John chapter 15. I'll be reading from verses 1 through 11. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be complete. And this is God's word. John chapter 15 is Jesus' last teaching to his disciples before he's arrested, before he's killed. Now, uh, this is the last of Jesus' I am statements in the gospel according to St. John. Think about this. If you knew you were going to die soon, what you share are the things that are going to be the closest to you, the most urgent for you in your heart. And it's customary. It's customary in the Old Testament for leaders like Moses, leaders like Joshua, to gather those who are next in line in leadership. As they prepare to pass on their leadership, they pass on teachings, final teachings. But while all all the other leaders focused on renewing the covenant, obedience to the Lord, they say stay connected to the word, obey the law, hold this law close to you, Jesus gathers his leaders. Jesus gathers the future of the church. Jesus gathers his disciples, and he says what? Stay connected to me. In other words, the key to faith, the key to new life, the key to renewal, the key to growth as a Christian is not about following the rules. There are rules. There are laws. But it's not about following those rules and laws But the key to growth is to be connected to Christ himself, a person, a personal relationship to Jesus. And so we arrive at this last of Jesus' I am teachings in the gospel according to John. He says, I am the true vine. And we're going to see four quick things. One, why we need to be connected to him. Two, what does it mean to be connected to him? Three, what are the fruits of being connected to him? And four, how do you stay connected? Why you need it, what it means, what are the results or the fruits? How do you stay connected? Four, uh, four things today. Now, first, we're going to look at why, why we need to be connected to Jesus. And it's because this world is naturally heading towards disorder, entropy, decay. The second law of thermodynamics, that means that it's natural. It's natural for the world to go into a state of disorder and chaos and decay. And if that's natural, and we being in this natural world, this physical world, that means that there's a principle of decay at work in our lives. So things, just by sitting there, things deteriorate, things dissipate. 
Whether it's a new language that you're learning, a sport that you've been into, your diet, your work, your relationships, if you just leave those things alone, they will start to deteriorate. The principle of, of deterioration, decay will be at work. That means that it takes tremendous amounts of energy, tremendous amounts of, of work, tremendous amount of discipline to sustain these things. And if this is the case in the material world, then all the more for a spiritual character. We're all home right now. And it's easy to get so comfortable at home that we kind of lose all sense of, of uh, uh, motivation to grow, to seek growth. And so just with the mere passing of time, and we could be in this for a while, friends, you can, you, you know, you can still put on weight. You're going to get older. Your food that you bought will start to rot. That's natural. That's natural. The mere passing of time will bring those things to decay. Your body, your age, your food, things that you've purchased, the mere passing of time will bring those things down. And if that's the case with the physical world, then all the more your character, the mere passing of time will bring your character down as well. You will get more cynical and skeptical about life. You'll become more addicted to uh, your control. You'll be more addicted to your entitlements and your rights. You're going to have greater anxieties today than you had yesterday. And it takes a tremendous amount of energy, a lot of work to change that. But in John chapter 15, what does Jesus say? If you're a Christian, you will grow. If you're a Christian, you can change because you are personally, relationally connected to Jesus. That's why we need it. That's why we need to be connected. Now, what does that mean, to be connected? Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. The vine gives life to all the branches. The way an artery gives life to the organs in the body, in the system. In other words, the metaphor that Jesus uses, the metaphor that he chose to describe himself, moments before he actually dies, ironically is, he is the source of life. In fact, it's through his death that we will have new life. He says, I am the vine. What he's saying is, I am alive. I am the source of life. Don't you ever forget that. That's what he says. You are trying so desperately right now to sustain your life, to protect yourself. He says, don't you ever forget that the source of life comes from me. And I want you to build a pattern of life around my life. That's what he says. I want you to place me at the center of all of your priorities. I want you to place me at the center of your joys. Place me at the center of your desires. Place me at the center of your loves. Be organically connected so that your relationship with me will power all of your desires and joys and loves and priorities. It will change all of your desires and joys and and priorities and loves. He's talking about a relationship that is so intimate you're actually attached and when you're attached to something, what happens? It becomes intrusive. It becomes invading. It becomes imposing. We're not talking about a symbiotic relationship where uh, it just kind of attaches to you and, and uh, you both gain something from this. What he's saying is that Jesus dwells in you. There's such an attachment that he is indwelling. And so it's intrusive and invading and his life powers your life. And so it's going to impose your life. It's that close because real growth depends, real growth depends completely on the vine as the source. 
See, we don't really like to hear that. We don't like to see that. In our society, if somebody questions your lifestyle, if somebody questions the way you spend your money or your sex life, uh, your work habits, we say, whoa, 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 whoa. I know that we're friends, but you're crossing the line here. Who gave you the right to challenge me on what I do with my life or my wealth or my money or my body? But the thing is, when you really love somebody, we tie our happiness around the happiness around that, of that person. We tie our happiness around the happiness of our spouse or our friends or our children. And Jesus is saying this. He's saying, don't feed off the love of your spouse to power your life. Don't feed off the love of your friends to power your life. Don't feed off of the approval of your boss to power your life. Don't feed off of the, the love of your children, the success and the abilities of your children. It's beautiful. It's wonderful when you get promoted. It's wonderful when you get acknowledged by your boss. It's wonderful when your spouse is doting on you, your, your children are clinging to you. We love that. We love to feel needed and useful. But the thing is, that kind of love, that kind of connection, that kind of attachment will change you and will start to distort you, shape you in a way where it will start to make you rot. That principle of decay will continue to be at work. It will not stave off that principle. Jesus Christ says, I am the vine. If you take me in, my nourishment will feed you. My nourishment will supply you with everything that you need to change, everything that you need to grow and thrive because you're joined to me. That's called union. And that's different. The difference between, the difference between a real Christian and just a religious person in a church is this. See, both people, both types of people may believe that Jesus Christ died for them. But a Christian says, it's not just Jesus' death that shapes me. He's alive. He's living in me, and his life shapes me. Now, as a pastor, I meet a lot of people, a lot of people uh, who grew up in the church who are now struggling spiritually. It's not a phenomenon. You see lots of people who are really just fiery and vibrant and upbeat, uh, very connected to the church, committed to the Lord when they're younger, very vibrant, and yet as they get older, they become less vibrant. Uh, Why aren't they doing that now? And it's because maybe they were only cosmetically joined before, or maybe they weren't really joined at all. They were just mechanically joined. Ultimately, it's because our lives are nourished by the vine that we are truly attached to. We're all seeking things on a daily basis to attach to, something that's going to give us life. And so maybe we're just mechanically joined to Jesus. Maybe we're just cosmetically joined to Jesus. And organically, we're attached to something else that we think is going to nourish us. And Jesus is saying this, I don't want a mechanical relationship with you. I want an organic relationship with you. I, wanna, I want a relationship with you that's going to, where, where I get to intrude and it's so close, so deep, so intimate that, that my life starts to impose into your life, shape your life, and empower your life. New life. You see that? That's what he means when he says, I am the vine. And the father is the gardener. Because throughout the Bible, the vine always referred to Israel. Always referred to Israel. Because Israel often had a mechanical relationship with God through a system of laws and and culture. The problem is the Old Testament always refers to Israel's failure to produce good fruit. They only produce thorns. That's what the Bible says. Because they had a mechanical relationship with God. So on the one hand, they didn't have direct access to God. 
But on the other hand, Israel always kept God on the periphery, always kept God. Uh, they want to be close to God, and yet at the same time, they didn't want God to get too close. And so they couldn't get access to God, so they desired God. But the thing is, when God got close, it was, it was blinding for them. That brilliance was too brilliant. It was imposing. And so in many ways, much like you see in passages like 1 Samuel, where they would bring the ark out, for a long time after the ark was captured by the enemies of Israel, uh, once, they, once the Philistines, for instance, abandoned the ark, it would stay on the periphery. It was kind of on the periphery of the Israelites. That's what we want. We want God to be close enough for us to feel warm and fuzzy, but we want him on the periphery of our lives so it doesn't shape or change the way our desires or our pursuits. We want to use God to fulfill our own agenda because what we really wanted, what we're really connected to is something else. The Bible in the Old Testament refers to Israel and its propensity to produce thorns uh, because they were planted in Israel. The people of God were planted in Israel to bear fruit, but instead they produced thorns. Why? That principle of decay, constantly at work. So when Jesus says, I am the true vine, he's saying, I'm abolishing now all the other things that you have listened to that promise you life and growth and fruit. Now I'm going to make this practical. Some of us who are watching right now, um, they, we have a mechanical relationship with God. We think we're attached to God. We think God is personal in our lives. We read the Bible. We go to church. Uh, we do community groups. We pray. But these things are actually mechanical things. They were never meant to power. They were never meant to source our relationship with Jesus. Rather, we do them because we have a relationship with Jesus. Because Jesus is the source. So we're doing these things in many ways. We're obeying in order to get in. When in reality, a Christian says, I'm in, I'm loved, I'm embraced. And as a result, we delight in the Father, we pray. We delight in the Father, we connect. We delight in the Father, we want to hear. We want to hear from our Father. That's, that's what we're doing. The difference between a real relationship with God and a mechanical relationship with God is what? A real relationship is intimate and deep. That means the deeper you go, the more your lives intertwine. Sometimes it means you're going to argue. Sometimes you're going to look at something that God says, and you're going to say, man, I disagree with this. I don't like this. It hurts me. It's a little bit imposing. You're intruding into my belief system, my core values, things that I didn't even realize I believe, and it, and it hurts. But really, in a, in a relationship, when you're arguing with somebody, it's because you're actually going deeper you're realizing that you're not always aligned. So when you argue with the Bible, that is to say, when you're arguing with Jesus, when you're arguing with God, that could be a sign of increasing intimacy, not necessarily a decrease in intimacy. You gotta keep pursuing it. You gotta keep working it out. In fact, if your relationship with Jesus doesn't challenge you, I'd be more concerned. If your relationship with Jesus doesn't challenge your lifestyle or your values, that may be a sign that you don't have a real relationship with him at all. And it will not give you joy. It will not produce lasting joy because you're not deriving your life from Jesus. So when Jesus says in verse 7, ask for anything that you wish, ask for whatever you wish, and it will be given to you. He's not making a blanket statement. He's not saying, hey, you know, you name it. I, I'll get it for you. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, He's speaking in context. He's talking about fruit. That, that entire paragraph right there, he's talking about fruit. He's saying, in other words, ask Jesus for any dimension of godliness, 
any dimension of character, the character of Jesus, the mission of Jesus, the love of Jesus, the grace of Jesus, the forgiveness of Jesus, the courage of Jesus, and it will be given to you. That's what he's saying. Every other religion says, you need to ask, you need to do it. Ask, and then take these steps. But Jesus says, ask, and you can't do it. That's why you need to ask. You need him to power you. You need his strength. You need him to be the source. On one hand, that means that every day is a fight. Every day is a fight against our natural tendency, against the natural tendency of the world to go into decay. But on the other hand, what we're saying here is don't give up. Don't be cynical because you're struggling. In fact, struggling with sin, struggling with the godliness of God, that struggle is probably more often a sign that fruit is on the brink. You need to keep working out. Just ask. Literally, that's what you ask for in prayer. Father, I want to be this, and I can't do it on my own. Father, I want to be this. I want to demonstrate this type of character, but I can't do it on my own. And these examples of the day, I failed here and here and here. We call that repentance, you see? Instead of trying to change on your own, we need to cling to the vine. That's what it means to cling to the vine. Right now, you're in your homes. And, uh, you know, your homes are kind of comfortable, but it's also kind of like a prison, right? And if you remember Shawshank Redemption, great movie. Shawshank Redemption in the 90s, um, uh, it was an Oscar winner. What What does the main character say in prison? Either you get busy living or you get busy dying. In other words, you can either fall into decay and deteriorate in prison and be given to your fears, be given to illness. You can make tons of excuses and almost become institutionalized in your homes. Or right now, even from your living room, you can begin to shift away from these other distractions. These other distractions that were so accessible before and feed off the true vine that's Jesus. Abandon those other motivations for change in your life. Abandon, it doesn't mean that you quit your job. You need a salary. But stop making your salary your motivation for change. That means that you're going to listen to your boss's voice. Is that going to give you life? Stop looking to other people for approval and love. And instead, I want you to go to them and say, well, not go to them directly, but what you can say to yourself is, you cannot give me the nourishment that I'm looking for, that I need for life. And then turn to Jesus Turn to Jesus. Turn to Jesus through God's word, through prayer, through the great counsel of godly men and women in your life as as the source of life. In other words, don't just put yourself in cruise control at home. Don't Don't just put yourself in cruise control at work or in your relationships or your family because then your prayers, then your scripture reading, your studies, community even, will be mechanical. You need to examine where Jesus's life where Jesus' character is at work, where it's his character is not powering your life. You gotta examine, you gotta investigate, you gotta give people a warrant to investigate where Jesus' life and character are not powering your life and character in everyday life. Martin Luther says that uh, he calls it really building a lifestyle around repentance. And the more you do that, the more you rely more and more on Jesus. That's what it is. Now, what are the fruits? Jesus says, remain in me. Remain in me. Uh, The difference between what we read in the New International Version versus the ESV, uh, in the Greek, the word when he says remain in me, he says abide in me. We don't use that word a whole lot these days, to abide in the vine. To abide is to depend with everything that you are. To abide is to give it everything that you've got. 
through bodies to take every faculty, your mind, your thoughts, your strength, your will, your submission, your, your uh, emotions, you know, your disposition. You turn it all into one thing with everything that you are, your identity. Etch your life into Christ, into every part of your own life. Let his life power every part of your life. Verses 1 to 2, the gardener cuts off every branch that bears no fruit. Other branches he prunes. So he cuts off in some cases, he prunes in other cases. In other words, he examines these branches, that's what the gardener does, to see if there's a relationship between the branch and the vine, to see whether or not it's just a a kind of a, a bud, a mechanical bud, or whether there's really organic strength being drawn from the vine itself, the center point. He's trying to see if life really exists there. And if the gardener is examining these things, every branch, you should be examining that in your life. What, you should, what should you be examining? You should be examining the fruit of what you're hearing, the fruit of the word. Verses three and four, he says, you're already clean because of the word that was spoken to you. Remain in me and I will remain in you. Abide in me, I will abide in you. Don't just have a mechanical relationship with me. That's what he's saying. This is not conditional. Jesus is saying uh, the living branch is literally part of the vine. Abide in the vine, that's what he says. Don't just have that mechanical relationship with Jesus. What type of relationship do you have with Jesus? Is it casual? Is it according to your own terms? When you get to chime in and chime out, is God just on the periphery of your life? How long has that been going on? Because to the degree that it's been going on, that's the degree of the, that's the, degree of the deterioration. That's the degree of the illness. You see that? That's a deeper illness than the things that we look at that. We have a, we have a fear of an illness right now that's pervading through our city. And yet we overlook and we're no, we, we don't even consider the deeper illness that has been spreading and coursing through our, through our souls for all time. Are you merely mechanically religious or are you critically dependent on Jesus? That's what it means when Jesus says, abide in the vine. You need to examine that. A, men- a mechanical relationship just reads the Bible. A mechanical relationship just does church. A mechanical relationship just does community group. And you may enjoy it. It may be enjoyable in some times, in some moments. But there are still other things that drive your agenda and drive your life. You're actually really connected elsewhere. So you're not drawing strength from these things. These things are not life-giving things to you. They may encourage you, strengthen you at times. You may experience a sense of spirituality and, and the presence of God. But really, you're connected somewhere else to increase your options and potential and freedom and joy. So when a person with a mechanical relationship comes to Jesus, he's really just looking for Jesus to listen to him, to hear his prayers, to, to answer to, to things that will supplement his own life, help him with his loneliness, especially in a period of isolation, Help me get married. Help me find a better job. Increase my wealth potential, my identity. How do you tell what kind of relationship with Jesus you have? It says the gardener looks for fruit. You know what fruit is? Number one, fruit takes time to grow. And so it's that stuff that's really being born out of you based on what root, what you're rooted in. It's that thing that's being born out of you that's natural or supernatural. If there's no supernatural relationship that's personal between you and the Father, then what's going to be born out of you is natural. And that's going to be deteriorating. It's going to rot into decay. 
And you're going to see that play out in your relationships. You're going to see that play out in your job, in your own personal life, in your lifestyle. But if it's organically connected to the Father through Jesus, the vine, that's a supernatural relationship. That's, that's, that's a union for all time. And, and Jesus explains that. He says there are two types of fruits. Change can only come through the work of the vine, and it comes from a critical dependence on the vine, and there are two types of fruits. Verse 9, he says, there's love, and verse 10, he says, out of that love, there's obedience. He says, remain in my love, you will obey. So if you're sucking these nutrients from the gospel, the gospel is, is divine, and you're an artery, you're a branch, you're sucking from these nutrients of the gospel. In other words, you're relying, you know, if you're not doing that, you're going to be relying on other vines for strength. But when you remain in your love for Jesus and you're, you're building your life around a pattern of his life and death, around his love for you, your worth, your identity, your security, tied into, etched into, intertwined with the life of Christ, that becomes very, very visible and palpable in your life. Number one, you don't try to earn your, your own sense of worth. So your job does not become this place where you're feeding off of to get a sense of worth. Your children are not, are not something that you're, you're deriving a sense of worth from. It becomes very visible, very palpable. One, you're very, you become humbler because you, are, you know that you can't do this on your own. You're utterly helpless on your own, but you grow with great boldness. There's strength in your life. There's courage in your life because these things no longer rule you. You see that? There are two types of people. Um, as an example, uh, one type of person loves out of fear. I see this a lot in the, in the Asian community. Uh, one type of person loves out of fear. They love because, uh, in, in a way, it's kind of like a, they see life as uh, relationships as a give-give type of relationship, give and take. And in their minds, if they don't give, and if they don't give, and if they don't give, and if they're not, they're not connecting with people and trying to keep up, they feel disconnected. So they're constantly working. They're constantly working to stay in touch with people, constantly working to connect with people because if I give, then I will feel appreciated. If I give, just to hear the affirmation, just to feel a sense of value and worth. You know what you're doing? You're loving because your tank is empty. You're loving out of an empty tank and when you don't get that response that you want, you become angry, anxious, bitter, maybe even hopeless. There's another type of person that loves out of an overwhelming sense of being loved by God, and he builds this pattern, the pattern of his life around that love. What happens is, number one, you don't become perfect. Fruit takes time to grow. So you realize, more or less, how, how much you suck at it. Sometimes you have mixed motives. What do you do? You go to Christ. You go to Jesus. Fill me with a sense of your presence. Fill me with a sense of your love. Shape my fears. Shape these desires so that I can genuinely love others and sacrifice for others the way you love others and sacrifice for others. Let the truth of your word speak to me in a way that changes me, changes my heart because my heart is a skeptical heart. My heart is an unbelieving heart. When this type of person loves, it's because his tank is full. Do you see that? What is love? Love is it's a deep personal experience of a rational truth. That's what love is. When you love Jesus, it's out of a deep personal experience of a rational truth, the truth that he lives and died for you. And so your obedience is a sacrifice, a sacrificial submission to that truth. Uh, if you ever read the book Jane Eyre, phenomenal book, Jane Eyre 
in the story is falling in love with a very decent man named Rochester. But the problem is that Rochester is married. He's married to a person who's going mad. She's ill. So on one hand, you see Jane Eyre's struggle. She wants to be loved, and she loves this man, but she concludes that she must renounce this love and idol. That's what she says. I will not be yours, she declares. At one point, Rochester approaches her and says, it would not be wicked to love me. And she responds, it would be wicked to obey you. She rationalizes in her heart. She rationalizes that her heart and her conscience, you know, resisted. She wants to comply. Rationalize this. You love this man. He's finally within grasp. But she resolves that the law exists for such moments as this. And so her voice, she responds, well, the inner voice says, comply, obey, but she says, I will be strong. I will be strong. Jane Eyre is being told to appease society, to do what modern society says you should do, which is give in to your compassion, uh, give in to your passions, give in to the things that you feel fulfill you. You know, be loved at the cost of other people, but she's a Christian in this society, in this book. She's a Christian in a society that's a pre-feminist society, and so she becomes a proto-feminist, one of the earliest depictions of true feminism because she resists the man. She resists the all-powerful, decent man, and she says no because of her faith, because her faith is real. Jesus Christ says, my words abide. Feed on my word. Don't just get frustrated and put it away. Digest my word. Chew on my word. Digest it. Get all the nutrients from my word. That means I want you to interpret the world through the lens of the Bible. Let it speak into all the things that you desire. Let it speak into all your loves. Let it dialogue with you, fight with you, argue with you. Let it build a relationship with you. You know, a person who has a healthy dialogue with the Word and with God because he has a relationship with God will build intimacy with God. My love abides in you. The person begins with looking at his own life as a failure to live off of the vine, and so he's pursuing all these other things to give him life. But then living off of the awareness of Jesus' love and his security and his wealth and his power, you know, that's... That's what gives him new life. How do you get it? How do you stay connected to the vine? The gardener's job is to bring out the best in the vine. Um, pruning is one of the most important jobs of the gardener, you know, because when you prune, you're actually stimulating by cutting away, you're actually stimulating the productivity of the vine. Uh, you're stimulating the productivity of the work of the vine on the branch. And so uh, if you go to a vineyard uh, during or after pruning season, you'll see tons of branches on the ground. Sometimes a gardener cuts off a branch. But sometimes you'll see um, snippets of what looks like healthy grapes on the ground. You're literally stepping on these grapes, and you're looking up, and you're saying, you see all these sores, all these snips and cuts. The vine is literally cut into hundreds of places and, and there seems to be healthy grapes everywhere and it looks like a waste, but every snip, every cut is intentional. What is Jesus saying here? Every hurt you've ever experienced, every pain, every experience, God is present and he's pruning. God is present and he's working. And I don't want to minimize or denigrate anyone's suffering, especially today 
Um, you know, we're in the midst of life or death situations, even this morning. We're in the midst of uh, lots of people ill, lots of people dying. Uh, we're in a me- it means that every loss, every failure, every misstep is not random because no one knows more than a gardener that if you're not cut, you won't thrive. Now, we tend to not like what the gardener does. We tend to not like the pruning. Uh, we don't like pruning seasons, uh, especially in our lives. Um, we don't like things being taken away from us. We don't like uh, things, being, uh, things that we desire uh, to be cut off or removed from us. Um, but we assume, it's because we assume that we have a better perspective than God on what we need to thrive. It's easy to assume that God doesn't have that perspective when he's the only one with that perspective. He's the only one who has a better perspective. And so we should be assuming that we don't have good perspective. God has that skillful eye. And he's not coming in like a butcher. He's not hacking away. He's coming in like a surgeon, super meticulous. Why does he prune? He prunes because branches try to draw life. Branches try to draw power, uh, oftentimes from the periphery. And he wants to redirect so that branches can draw from the stem in a way that they've never been able to do before, and they will realize then their growth potential. Pruning points to the real source, the true source. Jesus, that's why he says, I am the true vine. Pruning reorients you away from a mechanical life towards organic growth in Jesus. So when you're suffering, it could very well be that God is finding these points of weakness and breakage in relationship with him so that he can increase your joy and increase a power that lasts in your life. And so in verse 11, Jesus says, it's so your joy would be complete. Now the thing is, the irony of this passage is, Jesus is talking about his death. He's talking about the growth and the completion of your life. All the while, he's talking about his death. This is a teaching about uh, what will grow our joy. But if you look at what's happening, Judas had just left to betray Jesus. And so Judas juxtaposes this beautiful teaching because Judas is a man that's only mechanically connected to Jesus. He was going with the motions. And Jesus' friends are about to abandon him. And he knew it. Jesus is about to enter into a pruning season himself. The gardener's work on him, the ultimate pruning, the ultimate suffering, He's about to feel the sores and the pain and the cuts. He's about to feel the cosmic pruning shears. So immediately after this teaching, in in John chapter 17, Jesus prays. How does he start? The time has come. Glorify your son. Whenever you see the word glorify in, in the gospel according to John, that glory that Jesus is talking about, he's always pointing to his death. He's saying the time has come. The time has come for me to die. Jesus is praying, and he's so in tune with the Father. He's so in tune with his presence. He's drawing from the life of the Father. He's fully, organically connected with the Father. That hour would be the hour of his pruning. Why why would he need to be pruned? I mean, Jesus Christ is perfect. Jesus Christ fully connected, organically drawing strength from the Father day after day, moment by moment. So why would he need to go through this? And the author of Hebrews says this, that Jesus Christ endured the cross scorning a shame for the joy that was set before him. 
In other words, if Jesus Christ didn't need to be pruned for himself, he must have been pruned for something else to increase his joy. And that joy was what? It was us. It was us. What would be worth all of his suffering? What would be worth the pruning shears? Especially if he didn't need it. And the answer is, his people were worth it. His people were worth the shears, the pain, the suffering, the sores. You see, Israel only produced bad fruit. They only produced thorns. But on the cross, what do you see? Jesus Christ endures the crown of thorns. He got the thorns. And he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me on the cross? What he's saying is, now I'm feeling the ultimate steel of God's wrath. I've been forsaken by God. I've been detached from God, cut off, trampled on. I feel complete dissociation from my source of life, the center of my life, my true vine. Why? So we could be connected to Jesus. We could be connected to the Father. I've been severed from the ultimate source. Jesus' vine, Jesus' worth, Jesus' identity, Jesus' security, he's been severed from all these things. He's been severed from the Father so we could be attached to the Father and so we can have worth and identity and security. Every time you look at the cross, you see your assurance. Every time you look at the cross, you see a validation of your security, a validation of your worth. And all the while, Jesus Christ, he still trusted God. He's reciting Psalm 22. He's meditating and clinging to the word of God, even to the point of death. That means that Jesus Christ, you know, Psalms are prayers. That means Jesus was praying on the cross. He was obeying God on the cross. You see, both fruits visibly demonstrated on the cross of Christ. Look at the love of Jesus. Look at the enduring faithfulness of Jesus. Look at the obedience of Jesus. Look at the sacrifice of Jesus. Look at the loving resilience, the loving and obedient resilience of Jesus. Sometimes you may experience thorns. At least it feels like you're experiencing thorns. But in reality, you're not getting the thorns. Jesus got the thorns. You're just getting pruned. God is snipping away and maybe exacting his cuts in your life so that you could be reoriented to draw from the ultimate source of life and ultimately experience the fullest potential in your life. We know this because Jesus got the thorns for us. Look at life through the lens of the Bible and you will reorient today's hardships as pruning. Let it shape your life so that God can draw out your greatest potential, your greatest freedom, your greatest joy. You can either get busy living or get busy dying. Let's pray.